Welcome to the porch. I'm Richard Grun. This is where we get back to basics, the red letter basic, by examining the Word of God, and especially the example of the Book of Acts Church, to see how the early church served the Lord. By delving deeper into Scripture, we find the church the Lord intended, and not the one that man created. The porch has always been about restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence that the early church had. The church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is on going the fire of the upper room still burns if you have any questions go to firefalltalkradio.com use the contact button or you can write us directly at the porch lowercase one word at firefalltalkradio.com if you'd like to support us there are ways to do so go to the firefall talk radio homepage. we appreciate your support and encouragement welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms remember we can always be found on apple podcast google Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Welcome to the porch. Good to have you here. I'm Richard Grund. This is the community part of the porch. This is where we share about what's going on and uh, prayer, praise, and all those things. If you don't want to be a part of that, go to the second shofar. But this is where we talk about what's going on. Like right now in the world, our brothers and sisters are being persecuted. Um, More Christians are being taken in villages in Africa every day. If you haven't done it already, I suggest you get the Open Doors USA app on your phone, and it will alert you to what needs to be prayed about. Remember, we're on YouTube under the Firefall Network. Videos there, the Bible studies, the testimonies, and various encouragement, um, whether by myself or fellow SRT member Larry Barrett. And we'll be adding more from Excuse me, other people. Got a little choked up there. <clears throat> so, um, praise reports, prayer requests. Why do we do this? I remind you every week. As I speak the word live, I always enter into his presence with praise, with thanksgiving. I never just go running in without telling him how awesome he is, how blessed I am, how thankful I am that he saved me, that he died for me, that he gave me back the family I discarded, gave me back my wife, who, by the way, it's her birthday. Everybody say happy birthday. Happy birthday. No, we won't sing. Um, My sons, I now have daughter-in-laws. We have a grandson. We have all these furry kids here and on the other side that I believe we'll see again someday. I am blessed. How could I not talk about that? I am thankful. I am thankful that he saved me, healed me, and delivered me. And then he said, hey, come work for me in the family business. Now, when I was growing up, the family business would have been a little bit different, being a New York Italian, but I'd rather be in this family business, business, better benefits. So I praise him for all of that. I praise him for his provision for his protection. His promises are always yea and amen. I praise him for his word that encourages me and empowers me. Praise him for the dreams and the visions which of late are nonstop. So I believe we are in a highly volatile spiritual prophetic time. Praise him for his healing virtues that are always available to us anytime in his name. Praise him for his Abiding divine love. It's always there. It's always there. His favor is there. For the revelation of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit never leaves you. He's inside of you. And for making me and you new creations. As we watch the prophetic timeline play out and the clock tick, as I believe he's getting ready to return. So let's pray. Let's pray for The peace of Jerusalem, may they prosper her love you, Psalm 122, verse 6. 
We pray for Israel. We pray for their safety. We pray for their leadership, especially with everything going on in the world with Russia. I believe China will be next. Um, I believe the nations are lining up to fulfill the pattern for prophecy. So pay attention to that. Pray for America. Pray that God's mercy and his grace would be shed upon us. I pray that its leaders would get on their faces before him and do his will, that those that know him would stand up for him. I pray for all the people being victimized by their governments around the world, whether it's Canada, whether it's in other foreign nations. I pray that they would do what's right and that God, Almighty God, would inspire them to do so. Pray for the fatherless and the widows, the persecuted and the martyred, the poor in spirit, the bound, the oppressed, and those that are victims of injustice. I pray for the, his creation in and out of the womb, both human and animal. As always, we are, in my opinion, bad stewards of his creation. And I pray for mercy. Pray against the slaughter of the innocents. Pray against missing and exploited children to be saved, for them to be rescued, and for justice to find these people, if not here and the hereafter. For all of our believer brothers, all of our Jewish brothers, I pray for them each and every day. The persecution, the anti-Semitism, the attacks against the church, the attacks against us. Oh, boy, it, this is a scary, scary time if you don't have Yeshua as your Lord and Savior. If you are healed, I pray for your divine wholeness, your health, and your healing right now in the name of Yeshua. I pray that you would receive your blessing, receive your healing, that if he points out areas of your life to fix and correct, that you do so. And when you've done all that you can do, stand and turn it over to him. Pray for our protection, for the inspiration, for the remnant to wake up, to rise up, to answer that call to action, whether it be physical, whether it be in prayer, whether it be financial. We are an army of God. And that army needs provision. And I pray for that. No more manna. Manna doesn't fall from heaven. He's given it to us to take care of and support one another. So I'm praying for kingdom finances, kingdom business. And of course, I'm praying for our lost family members to come in, get their names written into the Lamb's Book of Life. The only other uh, praise and prayer I have is from Kim in Fort Mitchell. Uh, she says, happy birthday, Deb Grunt. She um, says she's doing better. As I mentioned, she lost her furry boy, Bruno. And I know how tough that is. She says, I still miss Bruno every day. But God is always in my heart comforting me when I get sad. I'm so grateful for his love and his protection. I praise you, Father. The case in Germany is finally settled for good. Folks, this is why we do the praise reports and the prayer requests, so that somebody who has offered prayer can give praise when that prayer is answered to encourage you to believe. Please protect my family, she says, as well as the porch community. Keep our children safe. Give us strength to carry your message. She's asking for prayer for her co-worker, Sina, Tina. Sorry, I'm reading multiple lines at once. Her co-worker, Tina, whose son is... Um, in addiction, and her father just left her. Wow. She needs you, Father. Let's stop and pray for Tina right now. Father, we pray for Tina, wherever she is, that she would feel your love, your comfort, your grace, and your mercy, that you would hold her in your arms, that you would speak to her and offer her hope. If she knows you, then encourage her. If she doesn't, that she would find you and become your child. And we touch and we agree in Yeshua's name. Amen. Um praying for her mother and her husband's soul. He says, Lord, provide for us, favor us, keep our bodies healthy, our minds strong and willing in Jesus' name. So, Lord, you knew all these things before I offered them up. So we believe that you've already done them. We thank you for this word. We thank you for the time. We thank you for the technology, for us being able to connect together all over the world, wherever we are right now. We thank you for how much you love us for sending Yeshua to die for us, to making a way for us when there was no way. And Yeshua, you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. No man 
comes to the Father but through you. So we have come. We boldly approach the throne of grace and mercy, saying, Abba, Father, Papa, God, Daddy, until we can sit with you and rest with you in eternity, we do so now in the Spirit. Holy Spirit, have your way. Touch us. Bless the technology. Say whatever it is you want to say. And we just pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. Combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. I actually forgot two prayer requests, which kind of tie into the fact of why I still sound so nasally and raspy, whatever this is. Whether it's a cold, whether it's uh, whatever name they want to give it, it's part of living in a fallen world. I've had it now for about a month. I've done all the various things we could do, and I am enduring. Pastor Shelley has had it for the exact same length of time that I have, which is interesting because our lives run parallel. So I'm asking you to pray for him. And also, Larry um, has got it, and he's getting ready to go somewhere to teach in a couple of weeks, so he needs your prayers. So we we add that to the list. So we're talking about love, the power of love. And I think this is the final part, but we'll see what the Lord does next week. As a reminder, Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts should have been called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had inspired a living spiritual organism called the church. You don't go to church. You are the church. We are the church. The community of believers in Yeshua. Now, the word community is a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common, a feeling of fellowship with others because of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. Well, that aspect, the feeling of community, which connects us by the Holy Spirit, it inspired the growth and the action of the Book of Acts Church. It should inspire us. That's why the porch was created. And they were fueled by love. The Lexham Bible Dictionary says love is a feeling of deep affection. It is a central theme in Scripture, and it defines our relationship with God and dictates how we should treat others. Every effort of the book of Acts Church was guided by the Holy Spirit. He decided where they went, what they did, and everything that happened. And it was motivated by love. But before we get to the power, Paul explains what it's for. But I want to give you some background about Corinth because it applies to what we're talking about. Corinth was known throughout the world for the temple of Aphrodite, which sat on the hill of the Acropolis, I think about 1,800 feet above sea level. It had a 1,000 priestesses, a thousand temple prostitutes. It was born out of the Ishtar cult, and I think all of the female gods and goddesses, female goddesses of the day were offspring of the Nephilim. I believe the firstborn of the fallen were male, and from there they began to create females. So I believe it all ties back to them, the Greek gods, the Roman gods, all ties back to that. And many of the same female gods had different names. So in this case, it's Aphrodite. And the Greek settlers encountered her as Ishtar and renamed her Aphrodite. Aphrodite was beautiful, supposedly. And she rose uh, from a bloody spot in the sea where the water was colored red and full of white, which represented, um, you figure it out. It was the spot where Kronos, the ruler of the Titans, had thrown his father's severed body into the sea to create it. I'm leaving things out 
If you're smart enough, you'll get what I'm talking about. So the goddess was born of sea foam, never innocent, always filled with lust, and always promoting sin. Corinth was the Greek port called the Amsterdam of the ancient world. And as I said, the temple of Aphrodite was on a rocky cliff 1,800 feet above the sea, so everyone could see it. According to earlychurchhistory.org, Strabo, who was a Greek philosopher and historian from 63 B.C. to 24 A.D., he described Corinth in Paul's day. He said it was a wealthy port city, not only because of its fortunate location on the isthmus connecting Asia and Italy, but the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, was so rich that it owned more than a thousand temple slaves, courtesans, both men and women, dedicated to the goddess, and therefore was also on account of these temple prostitutes that the city was crowded with people and grew rich. For instance, the ship captains freely squandered their money in the temple brothels, and hence the common proverb of the days, not every man, not for every man is the voyage to Corinth. That's what it was known for. And so Paul has planted a church there. And he writes 1 Corinthians or somewhere around 57 AD. He's writing from Ephesus in response to problems he's hearing about his Corinthian brothers and sisters who by their behavior was literally tearing the church apart. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 12. We will get to 13, but 12 explains why we're talking about 13. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Yeshua accursed, and no one can say that Yeshua is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he believes. So he starts out with now concerning, apparently, a question had been asked about the spiritual gifts. So Paul was clarifying that these special abilities had been given by the Holy Spirit to every believer and that they were to be used to minister to the needs of the entire body. The words gift, The word gifts in the Greek is charismata, the same root word for grace, which is charis. So they are gifts of grace, grace grace-given gifts, freely bestowed by God. Special endowments given to believers in Yeshua to enable them to do the extraordinary supernatural work that God has called them to. And the Apostle Paul did not want believers to be uninformed about these gifts, but rather to understand them and use them properly for God's glory. He says to them, You were once Gentiles, pagans, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. He was contrasting the work of the Spirit to the work that they knew before from their practices in the occult. If you remember, if you've ever seen the promo for SRT, I call Ephesus and Corinth the two most paranormal cities of the day. Paul's believing in Yeshua, which has taken him out of the Jewish 
mindset. He's trying to teach them to believe in Yeshua, to take them out of the pagan occult-based mindset that they once had, that they were influenced by evil spirits. And he he says Gentiles, but really they were pagans, non-Jews, but in this case covers the gamut of non-believers. And they were influenced and led astray by evil spirits through these demonic idols. They were worthless. Did they have power? Some did. Most did not. But that's not the point. The power they had was minuscule when compared to the power of the Holy Spirit. But the fact is, it cannot be ignored that they were real. And in some, even if they weren't real, their perception of them was real. So you have to address it from that perspective. Also, you have to understand that Satan is the counterfeit of all, counterfeiter of all things. So, the demonic have their own tongues. I've heard them. I know I've shared this story. There was a period of time in Tallahassee when I was very vocal, very outspoken, very active, that the local um, witches and Satanists would call my house between 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning and try to lay curses on me. Got to the point that if the phone rang during that time, I would pick it up, speak in tongues, and hang up. One night as I was hanging up, somebody spoke to, spoke back to me in their demonic tongues, not as um, lyrical, not as mellifluous, not as um, sweet-sounding as the tongues of the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, the person arrogantly said, tell me what I said. And I said, I don't care what you said. <laughs> so just to say that they have them, which is why there are some that say those of us that speak in tongues are doing it from the gift of demons, which then puts those people into the danger of blasphemy. Another teaching for another time. But we must understand that Satan counterfeits everything that God does. Paul says there are diversities of gifts, but the same Ruach, the same Spirit. Difference of ministries, but the same Lord who oversees those ministries. And there are diversities of activities with the Spirit and ministries and the same God who is over all those things. He was breaking down for them a hierarchy which they understood from their pagan backgrounds. The gods, the demigods, uh, the titans, they understood all those things. See, he was tweaking their understanding of the spirit realm to clarify them back to creation and back to the word. But also what he was doing was trying to get them to understand your focus is on heaven. Your focus is on God. Your focus is on the Lord. Your focus is on the Holy Spirit. It's not on the gifts. And what was happening was the gift of tongues was causing problems in the church. Paul was clarifying, everybody's got a gift. Whether it's faith, whether it's wisdom, whether it's prophecy, whether it's interpretation, whether it's discerning of spirits, but all these gifts are for the edification of the body and to bring us together, not to tear us apart. But it's exactly what it was doing in Corinth, and Satan has done that again to this day, that people will fixate on the gift of tongues and cause division and cause strife and turn it just into the same problem that they had in Corinth. The other thing that was happening in Corinth was that those that spoke in tongues and could interpret and prophesy began to belittle the others that didn't have dramatic gifts. All the gifts worked together. All the gifts worked together for the body. All the gifts worked together for the body from the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you ever are in the presence of somebody that begins to belittle the gifts, and I have been in the presence of them, or elevate themselves up because they move in a much more 
powerful, dramatic gift, you know there's a problem in that church. The single purpose of these gifts is for the building up of the body of Messiah. And when they're used to their fullest potential, and when they are used to serve the Lord and serve one another, God works through that. We're talking about love, and we're talking the power of love. Love brings life, which brings growth. No body, meaning body of believers, and I'll even say no body as in an individual. If they don't love, they don't have life, and they don't have growth. I've been in facilities, buildings, fellowships, where the love was lacking. It wasn't there long, but I can tell you this, they did not grow. Now these gifts are exactly that, they're gifts. You can't earn them, you can't get them unless they're given to you. You're not special just because you have them, and you're not demeaned if you don't. They are charismata. They are gifts of grace from God. They are supernatural, which means he's the one who assigns them. I know you've heard me say this before. I have always had a problem with, and still very much so, I'm against, going to a class or to a facility that will tell you You'll get your gifts by somebody giving them to you or by coming together and studying together with them and you'll get your gifts. I've been in those meetings. Didn't understand they were error before. I do now. The Holy Spirit gives you the gifts. He determines them. Nobody gives them to you. No class, no method, no book, no seminar gives you a supernatural gift from God. It only comes from him. But one and the same spirit works in all those things, distributing to each one of us individually as he wills to be overseen by the Lord on behalf of the Father. Having said that, who controls the gifts? God. No man, no denomination, no school, no theology, no method. It all comes from above. And they are only distributed by the Holy Spirit. I know some of you write me and you struggle with the fact that these gifts are not manifesting in you as far as you know. But I will say this, if you've had faith, that's a gift. And we're not teaching on that, so I don't want to go down that road because I want to get to the love part of it. But what I want you to understand There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Messiah, Yeshua. The Holy Spirit does not bring condemnation. He brings correction. He brings conviction. When you see that pattern, if you are understanding what I'm saying, this thought is starting to come up in your head. I get it. That's what the love is about. Even the gifts are given in love. The Holy Spirit determines what you need when you need it. He determines how you're going to use it. And if you are willing and you are yielded to him, then he will use you freely. If there are things in your life that hinder him, he can't. You know, if you have a big open area of land... The wind can come whipping through there. No resistance. 
Let's start planting trees, putting up buildings, put up things that interfere with the wind. What happens? It slows it down. Is there anything in your life blocking the free flow of the Holy Spirit? Are there any thoughts besetting sins, false teachings? Is there anything hindering him from using you freely? That's what you have to determine. But because the Spirit gives them, the Spirit oversees them, He decides who gets what and when. There's no room for jealousy. There's no room for rivalry. And there's definitely no room for pride. Again, I've seen these things. I am not a fan of church, if you haven't figured that out. Oh, I love the church, the living organism, the body. I'm not a fan of religion. I'm not a fan of denomination. I'm not a a fan of what I've had to endure over the years and what I've seen, which is the antithesis of what the Lord intended. I've seen arrogant, prideful people who thought because they were anointed, they were special. A lot of lack of humility. But if we're a community of believers, if we're a family, you know, think of a a, a holiday meal. Everybody can't be the cook. Some people take care of the salad. Some people do the dessert. Some people set the table. Some get the chairs. But when it's all done and everybody sits down together, it was a group effort. That's what the body's like. We're a group effort. And the Holy Spirit is the cook. And the whole purpose of it is for the kingdom. So when we realize how the Holy Spirit works, we also understand he doesn't submit to man's plans. He doesn't submit to man's methodologies. He won't be limited. He will pull back, but he won't be limited. He won't be confined to cultural or contemporary views or what you think. He'll just simply step back, wait and see what you're going to do, and then move on. But I'm hoping that you'll be open, now more so than ever, because you're needed, to the gracious power that your Heavenly Father wants to bestow upon you to be used by Him. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. doesn't make you any more special than anyone else. We're just one family. And we're one family in love with the Lord. And if the church were to have a body language, I am a student of body language, helped me a lot when I did security and bodyguard work. The body language of the church should be love. That's what Paul's saying. That Messiah's body is based on love. It has a function individually, and has a purpose as a whole. And each part has a specific purpose. And even in our differences, we must work together. I could use the example of SRT when we go on a mission. Everybody's got their functions. Everybody does what they do to fulfill the mission. We work together. Although I may be the lead, and I may be the one that confronts the big and the bad, as I call it, whatever it is, Everybody else is doing what they're supposed to be doing. And we come together as one. We win as one. We celebrate as one. Our diversity is what makes us powerful. If everybody were like me, it wouldn't get a lot done. Because everybody would be wanting to be that lead person. Oh, I want to get in his face. I want to do that. We're a team, and we function very well as a team. So don't compare yourself to someone else. Don't look at somebody on on a video or on TV or go to a church service or whatever. Don't think that they're all that special. They're not. Here's my attitude. Unless you can hang on a cross, shed every drop of blood, die, and rise from the dead, you're not all that. 
I don't care what it is you do, no matter how well you do it. We are believers, one body. Yeshua is our Lord and Savior. No such thing as being a private Christian or you have your own little private clique or your private family over here. If we say we follow him, then we follow him together. Now, Paul has laid out the supernatural gifts and abilities given to us by the Holy Spirit. He then tells us how to activate them and how to use them. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. Whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Talks about the face to face. He's talking about being face to face with Yeshua. So faith, hope, love abide. Faith, the conviction and belief respecting man's relation to God and divine things. Hope, joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. Love, true affection for God and man, growing out of God's love for and in us. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Love is the glue that holds them all together. It is the basis for all the spiritual gifts mentioned to you in chapter 12. It is the basis and it is the activator for the spiritual gifts being used by the body. Love, divine agape love, connects everything you do with the throne room, connects everything you do with the Father, connects everything you do with the Son through the Holy Spirit. And it's what makes the gifts and us useful. And although everybody's got a different gift, we're all expressing God's love for a common purpose and for an ultimate goal. So maybe if you're struggling with a gift, either not having it or not using it in the manner you wish, stop asking for the gift and ask for more of his love. Ask for more of him. Ask for more of the Spirit. Let the Spirit decide what he wants to do. See, when you get those things, your awareness of the people around you who need his love will be heightened. But you'll be able to see what somebody's needs are. It's like I can look into the eyes of another believer and I can spot them. I can see him in their eyes. And though I know body language, I know spiritual body language even better. And if you look with the eyes of love, if you look with his eyes, you'll see things you've never seen before. 
And apart from the expression of love, these gifts are worthless. Paul talks about having the tongues of men and the tongues of angels means whether you speak in a human language or a heavenly language, an earthly language or an angelic language, if it's not with love, it's worthless. And as I already mentioned, Hasatan and the fallen can counterfeit the supernatural gifts. But you know what he can't counterfeit? He can't offer the love of God in those gifts. And pride will strip you of love. And the gifts will become self-centered. They'll become self-serving. I could name names. <laughs> I was going to, and the Lord grabbed my tongue of people that have taken the gifts as showmen and they become show-offs and they put on a performance and they prance around the stage and they do all these things drawing attention to themselves and they should be thankful that he doesn't strike them dead. He gives them time to repent. He gives them time to be corrected. But pride negates the gifts. Agape love is unselfish love. Has no expectation of reward or satisfaction. Agape love has no expectation of attention. It's not a thing of the flesh. It's a thing of the spirit. And Paul says, Though I bestow my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Now Paul's... Um, student, his protege, who took over for him after he died, Clement of Rome, he wrote a letter to Corinth as well in 96 AD, trying to correct them. And he spoke of those who deliver themselves to bondage in order to ransom others. And this could have been what Paul was referring to, but even that, if you are doing that, it's not in love. It's selfish. Love produces a willingness to give sacrificially and to suffer with no expectation of accolades or rewards. A true act of charity and self-sacrifice can either be done in the spirit or it can be done with pride as its motivation. And those are of no value to the kingdom of God. That's what Paul's saying. That the foundation of the kingdom is love. And any effort made outside of that is worthless. When there is love, believers will gladly use whatever gifts they have to work together with others to advance the kingdom and to glorify God. And they'll be glad that the others have those gifts so that the job can get done. Neil S. Wilson, pastor and, found, pastor and author of several books, including the Handbook of Bible Application for Tyndale House, says this. Before we rush to trivialize these words about love by assuming they can easily fit us, let's stop to consider that they actually describe God's character. These are not sugary claims. They are hard-edged descriptions of God's perfection in relationship, the Holy Spirit inspired the apostle to write a breathtakingly beautiful description of the nature of God. Only God can put his character in us. 1 Corinthians 13 is about divine love, agape love. The love that powers the church. That's one important thing I want to mention here because there's a scripture out of this section that people use to claim that the gifts ceased. He says, when that which is perfect has come. The Greek word perfect means end or completion. He's referring to the second coming of Messiah, the completion of all things. He talks about seeing face to face. But some have interpreted the word perfect as referring to the completion of New Testament canon. Which, when you consider the fact that there was no New Testament at that point, it makes no sense. 
the writing and separation of the books came almost 100 years later in response to Gnosticism and heresy. The New Testament is actually a man-made creation that the Father allowed and would not have been a consideration in Paul's comment. He wasn't talking about writing. He was talking about the Lord. When that which is perfect has come, and we see him face to face, we won't need prophecy. We won't need the gifts. We won't need all of those things because the kingdom of God will be on earth. Spiritual gifts will eventually pass away. But love never will. It never fails. Love is permanent. There's no end to love. The spiritual gifts will end because they were given to build the kingdom of God. When Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, returns, the kingdom will be established. And the building part will no longer be necessary. No one will need teachers because everyone will be given the perfect knowledge of all that God has done. That's the most excellent way. But see, Corinth was making mistakes, bad mistakes. They had taken the least of the gifts, tongues, which Paul believes all should have, and he had, and made it the most spectacular, gave it priority in its meetings. Why? It drew attention to themselves. And they had carried over their pagan occult notion that such Utterances were a mark of spirituality, a special closeness to God. Well, he deals with that pretty clearly. But then the question becomes, how do we recognize when someone has closeness to God? How do we recognize if someone is walking especially close with the Lord? We could easily be fooled by the external manifestations. We could be fooled by how they look. We can be fooled by the eloquence of their oratory skills. But none of those things are what sets them apart. What sets them apart is love. How do they treat others? First Corinthians one seven. Paul lays this out for them. First Corinthians one seven. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly await for the return of Adonai Yeshua of our Lord Jesus. Right there he sets the statement for everything else he's about to say. Then he goes to chapter what we call chapter three, verse three. Even though he says you have every spiritual gift needed, you're still controlled by your sinful nature. You're jealous of one another, and you quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? So the more excellent way Paul's talking about is a deeper walk in the Lord, and love is the key to our growth and our maturity, and love is the indication of true spirituality. Now, I have met people. I have met people in the body over these 33 years that have said to me, I, I love the Lord, I just don't love people. I don't like people. I've seen how they treat people. Now I'm old enough, mature enough, and hopefully respected enough to walk up to them and tell them they have a problem. If you don't love people, then the love of God is not in you. Gee, I think I think it says that somewhere in First John, doesn't it? If you don't love your brother, then the love of God is not in you. How can you say you love God if you don't like people? How can you say you love God and you don't want to help people? You can't. That's what separates us from every religion, is that we treat one another in love, that we care about one another. Love, this agape love, this power of love that I'm talking about, 
is the indication of true spirituality. When Paul talks about the sounding brass and the clanging cymbals, you have to remember that they were in Corinth, that the Temple of Aphrodite was there. They had a huge theater called the Agora there. And to amplify the voices of the actors, they had these large empty brass vessels spread around the theater that would amplify the voices. So sound came out of them, but they were empty. The clanging cymbals were the tassels on the garments of the temple prostitutes as they walked through the crowd seeking customers, basically saying open for business. So if, if what we do, if our gifts are done without love, and they are clang, they are sounding brass or clanging cymbals, then they are spiritually empty. They are void. They are nothing. Without love, he says, I become a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. Basically, I become an actor or a prostitute. I'm phony. I'm not real. See, this would resonate with the the Corinthians. They understood. They had seen the the theaters, the amphitheaters with the brass vessels. They had seen the, the, the little tinkling symbols on the end of the garments. They understood what Paul was saying. At least you would hope they would. Without without no without love, I'm sorry. I'm, without the love I'm talking about, you're just noisy, you're empty, and you're fake. You're not even a good actor. The motivating power for those seeking gifts should be to build up others. It should be about love. Now, remember I said they should have understood what Paul was saying. And I'm, as I told my wife before I came in in here, I've learned some new things today because I did some more research on Corinth and the church in Corinth. That the Corinthians had become so hardened in their hearts Paul had to write two long letters, passionate letters of encouragement and correction. And then after Paul was beheaded, his disciple, his student Clement of Rome, wrote them a very long, stern letter trying to correct their doctrine and their biblical guides of morality. And despite all the writings of Paul and all the efforts of Clement, the church did not endure. The church failed. So without love, they were only sounding brass and clanging cymbals. And they were also out of business. God put them out of business. We have some gatherings today that he could well put out of business. But because we are in the end times, he's allowing them to continue as an example. He's allowing them to show us that everything in this world is imperfect. He's the only perfect one. No matter how much people may know, they only know a little. Saying of somebody used to, I used to be very close with, some people just don't know what they don't know. And a lot of the churches like that right now. Not until the fullness of the kingdom of God at the second coming of Messiah will we know everything and will everything be made perfect. Then we will be complete in him. And at that time, all the gifts, everything the Spirit is doing, 
will cease because it will no longer be required. But here's what Paul says. Love never fails. Prophecies will fail. Tongues will cease. Knowledge will vanish away. Right now we know in part, we prophesy in part, but that which is perfect, Yeshua, has come. And that which is in part will be done away. The gifts of the body will be done because the building will be done. Yet love will continue because love is the essence of God himself. It says it in 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 and 16. The one who does not love has not become acquainted with God, does not, never did know him, for God is love. He's the originator of love. It is an enduring attribute of his nature. We have come to know by personal observation and experience, John says, and have believed with deep, consistent faith the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides continually in him. God is love. He's agape love. He's unmerited love. It's a love that he gave to an undeserving humanity when he sent his son to die for them. His love saved people. His love is the ticket into his kingdom. It's the enticing attraction to his kingdom to be with him eternally. The foundation of the kingdom of God is love, but it's also a choice. Father, I come to you now and I pray that everyone listening truly has made that choice to love. And if they have not, if they have fallen into the categories I mentioned, which helped destroy Corinth and caused them to cease to exist, I pray that you would speak to them, that you would soften their heart as you had to do me many years ago, maybe even break their heart so you can rebuild it. I pray, Lord, that your love would flow right now to every one of your children, everyone listening, and it would flow from you to them, through them, to others. And we would begin to live this out. We would have this power to set the captives free, to tear down the the strongholds of the enemy, to do all these magnificent, spectacular things because of the power of your love which began the minute Adam failed and you set in motion the plan to redeem us. Father, thank you for loving us when we were unlovable. Lord, thank you for dying for us and the love that you've bestowed upon us and allow us to feel for you. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you, thank you for walking with us teaching us this love right now, encouraging us, convicting us, empowering us. And I pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. The Lord loves you. I'm Richard Grund. This has been Firefall Talk. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio. God bless. Mm